The time has finally come. Get ready to open Upper Deck Series 1 and elevate your trading card collection with young gun rookies like Brock Faber, Luke Hughes, Marco Casper, and Matthew Nyes, just to name a few. Be on the lookout for a new one-of-one -one base set parallel called Outburst Gold. Don't walk, run to your local hobby shop, or get it from UpperDeckStore.com today. Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show brought to you by Upper Deck and BetMGM. I am Ryan Kennedy, joined by Michael Tragos. And Mike, we start off with some breaking news yep. uh, out of the UK. Obviously, we had the tragic passing of Adam Johnson. There has now been a manslaughter charge levied by the police there. They have not said who. They have not released that publicly. So let's just talk about the incident itself. For me, it feels like this is absurd. I mean, like the incident itself, you could not replicate it. So I'm not really sure where they're going with this other than they want to investigate it. To me, it feels like, okay, maybe it's a coroner's inquest kind of thing. I don't know the legal system over there, but just your initial thoughts on this. Yeah, I, I think this is happening because it wasn't this incident didn't happen in North America. Mm. Uh, it happened in the UK where hockey is not their primary sport. And like you, I think they're just going through their checks and balances. So, you know, just because he's been charged um, or we don't know who exactly has been charged. Apparently the name is being protected as mm. per law over there. Um, we have to assume it's the player that, uh, you know, whose skate it was that uh, hit Adam Johnson's neck. That being said, th this is not Marty McSorley swinging his stick at Donald Brashear. Um, this wasn't a premeditated or even just an act that was sort of outside the boundaries of what is acceptable on the ice. Mm -hmm. uh, fluke play, in my mind. It, w it wasn't even along the same vein as you know Matt Cook um, slicing Eric Carlson's Achilles, right. um, where you know Eugene Melnick at the time uh, was asking for a corn or, or sorry, a forensic team to right. kind of go over and see what happened there. So yeah. I don't imagine this is going to be anything more than, you know, let's exhaust um, why this happened mm. and how can it be prevented. Yeah, if it is indeed them going after the player, to me this is akin to getting hit by a car and then falling on somebody you know, because the car threw you into the other person and you getting charged with assault. It's like, what are you going to do? But this could be the first step in, if you're advocating for neck protection, mm -hmm. um, maybe this proves that, you know what, in, in hockey, this kind of thing happens. So because it happens, how do you prevent it? Right. And if you're not going to go after the player, um, then you say, okay, well, then something has to happen so that this doesn't happen again. Similar right. to what you said at the start where you're saying it's, kind of reminiscent of a coroner's inquest. Right, right. Fair enough. Okay, the other big news this week, obviously Edmonton firing Jay Woodcroft as coach. They, they hire Chris Knobloch, uh, who, as everybody pointed out on Twitter, was Connor McDavid's junior coach with the Erie right. Otters <laughs> of the OHL. Uh, point of order, they did not win a championship together, but Chris Knobloch did win an OHL championship the next year with Dylan Strom and Alex Dabrinkit, uh, Connor McDavid's Erie Otters team lost in the playoffs to DJ Smith's Oshawa Generals. Interesting. Uh, yep. Um, Edmonton is now uh, red hot. They've won two in a <laughs> row. Uh, Chris Knobloch is 1-0, beating the Islanders. 
Should anyone else in Edmonton get fired slash traded? Or was this the wake-up call that the Oilers needed? It, it's funny, Ryan, because I think all, all the opinions that I had of the Edmonton Oilers going into the season, I don't think they should get changed just based on what happened in the first month. Mm. Uh, granted, the goaltending hasn't been good enough. And let's face it, Dreisaitl and McDavid weren't playing at the level that they are used to playing it, whether they're snake bitten, just not scoring, not producing. Um, so when you say wake up call, I almost think it was a a boost of confidence was needed. Right, a and reset, a, a reset, and that's why you know Knobloch comes in. I think his kind of reputation is as a player friendly coach, and the guy that I was going to highlight more so than Knobloch is the other person who was hired, and it's Paul Coffey. Right. And Paul Coffey is very much a cheerleader, rah, rah, rah type. Uh, I was texting Paul yesterday morning, just kind of congratulating him on the role. This isn't his first foray with the Oilers as a sort of helper. Mm -hmm. um, I think it was 2018, he was acquired to kind of work with the defense. And again, it was a, a young Darnell Nurse at the time, um, trying to get those guys to play at a higher level. And even back then, I remember talking to Paul, and he said, like, listen, I'm not trying to reinvent the reel. I'm not trying to turn these guys into Paul Coffees. Right. I just want them to feel good about themselves. I want them to make plays. I'm a big fan of skill and that type of game. So, you know, I think the end result is, you know, these guys and the Oilers could not have been feeling worse about their game in the last couple of weeks than they were right now. So you bring in Knobloch, you bring in coffee, and you bring in just a kind of a familiarity, a comfort there. And a couple guys are going to say, listen, you are two of the best players in the world in McDavid and Dreisaitl. This is a good team. Nothing has stopped that. Go out, play your game, feel good about yourself. And we're seeing the kind of results right now. Yeah. And again, to be fair, if you look at the underlying numbers, at least offensively, the Oilers weren't too far off where they were last year when they were a really, really good team and had that obviously lethal power play. The goaltending obviously is something that is already, you know, I, I shouldn't say addressed because they still need more, but you know, Jack Campbell going down on waivers mm -hmm. uh, to the AHL. They, they've obviously acknowledged that goaltending has been a huge problem for them. So that to me is sort of the next step is like, okay, so what's the long-term plan here? Because I, I firmly believe that Edmonton still has time to be a playoff team, especially you know, if they go on a, a nice run here and kind of wipe the slate clean, uh, even if they get in as that final wild card spot, that's fine. But then the problem becomes if you have to face a Vegas, uh, you know, even a, a Colorado at some point in the playoffs, you can't do it with Stuart Skinner and Jack Campbell in net. So no. what's the next move in that regard? I don't know what the next move is or if there's one coming down the pipe, Ryan. I, I really think this is going to be a, can we become a playoff team with these two moves behind the bench mm. and sort of that quote-unquote reset that you're talking about? There, there's still a lot of time to make a trade. I just don't know if the trade comes in November or even December. I think we're talking probably closer to the trade deadline sure. and see where this team is from there. Yeah. All I can say is there were a lot of concerned people um, about where this Edmonton Oilers team uh, was heading. Even more so, we're concerned about Connor McDavid. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of reports out there that he was orchestrating these moves that, you know, whether it was Jeff Jackson getting hired by the franchise, um, again, Connor McDavid's first agent, or Connor Brown, who was part of that Knobloch team. 
um, down in Erie coming here. But there are a lot of people just kind of trying to make sure that Connor's game is good and that his headspace is good. Mm -hmm. To the point where you know, former Erie Otters general manager Sherry Basson traveled to California to kind of wow. just make sure that Connor was in a good spot. So, you know, I don't think he's pulling the strings, but I think there's a lot of people there just really concerned about, you know, obviously where he's at right now, but also two years from now, where he might be heading if it's not Edmonton on a, a re-sign. Sure, yeah, very valid point there. Um, so this is interesting. The Colorado Avalanche, uh, big win against Seattle last night. They needed that one. They really needed that because they've been blown out a couple of times in the past couple of weeks, which is very odd for the Avalanche because they are a Stanley Cup contender. They mm -hmm. do have one of the most impressive defense cores in the game. Uh, Pavel Francouz is out long term. He's actually heading back home to the Czech Republic uh, while he recovers from a lower body injury. But Alexander Georgiev was the starter in <laughs> two of those blowouts that I was talking about, and, and he's their guy, mm -hmm. and he was excellent for them last season. We were talking about <laughs> whether he was better than Shesterkin. That's right, yeah. Like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. So should we be worried about Colorado? Is this just a blip? Like, what's going on with the abs? Okay. What is it about this season where we've just seen so many teams get blown out? Yeah. And then the next night, they, they seem fine or whatever. It's like the 80s all over again. Yeah. It's yeah, like, it, yeah, it was 9-7 last night. Whatever. Yeah, the, the Leafs have been guilty of this. It just seems like good teams, like the Avalanche, or whether it's the Oilers, or mm. the Leafs, or whoever, they seem to be on the wrong end of these blowouts. And we're just seeing a lot of them. It might just be an example of the NHL is getting closer to major junior where the skill level is so high that all it takes is, you know, one team to have a rough night or their mm -hmm. foot off the gas and you're just seeing, like, you, you give up eight or nine goals. Right. Like, I, I, I don't remember seeing that before, but now it just seems like it's common practice where once a week we're going to get those blowout games and it's not going to be against a a bottom feeder that's getting blown out all the time. It's right. a legit good team. So yeah. um, do they have concerns about the goaltending? I don't think so. Like, again, two years ago, they win with Darcy Kemper. Yeah. Uh, I don't think Georgiev is any better or any worse than Kemper. I think he's along that same lines. I would agree. So I'm not concerned. The one thing I would have been concerned about is you got a guy in Jonathan Druin who hasn't been scoring, and then he gets his first goal. Uh -huh. um, and five different scores uh, scored uh, the other night. So... I think this Avs team is still the real deal. I think yeah. if I'm drawing up my Stanley Cup you know, contenders, I've got the Avs along with Vegas coming out of the West as my two, two kind of surefire, yeah, they're going to be fine. So mm -hmm. I don't think this really changes the thing. Yeah, it, it's funny. I almost wonder if this becomes the motivation on top, on top of the motivation of going out in the first round last year, mm -hmm. where you have these bad games. Like, can you imagine what Nathan McKinnon was thinking after some of these games? And, you know, he got dinged for some minuses in, in those contests. So it's not like he was playing fantastic and everybody else, you know, was garbage. Um, it, it was a team effort, if you will. <laughs> but That's true. I almost feel like, you know, with an organization like that that has been at the top for so long, you almost need to be checked sometime and be like, no nights off, boys. Like, totally. your nights off can be in August when it's your day with the cup. You know, from now on, you know, from here on out, it's like we have to be dialed in and, you know, preparing for that arduous playoff run that we want to see ourselves succeed in. 
It's kind of funny also, like, who's playing 2-1 hockey these days? Like, and is a successful team playing 2-1 hockey? Yeah. Like, everyone seems to be like, you know what, we're going to beat up on you, we're going to score six or seven goals, and then this might happen also because we're playing that kind of fire wagon back yeah. and forth hockey. I think, like, Carolina might be comfortable with that. Maybe Boston. Yeah, maybe, yeah, Boston would because you got... But the majority of them are like, hey, we've got our top guys, whether it's Jersey and, you know, Hughes kind of like, yeah, we're going to live and die with kind of scoring off the rush. And and the other thing is, you know, the Avs power play has been kind of atrocious for the last couple weeks now, and that's finally clicking. But, Mm. yeah, I think they're going to be fine. I'd be less worried about the Avalanche um, just based on I I like a lot of the offseason moves. Yeah. Um, I like Miles Wood. Um, like I said, Drew was almost like a toss-in, but I like how Ryan Johansson's kind of fit in there. Uh, Nishkushkin's been playing a little better. And you mentioned that defense. Like, you know, if we've got an Olympics coming up, Makar and Taze are going there. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. And actually, they just signed Joel Kiviranta as a depth pick. Uh, he, I feel he's been good in the past, so that's a nice little one there. Uh, sticking in... The Central Winnipeg, 6-2-2 two, and two in their past 10 games. Kyle Connor has 11 goals, uh, and he can Most he can underrated reel. player? You know what? He probably, he's probably up there, eh? He's like we, be. He's, he's a guy that legit... He's underrated. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, I mean, and the funny thing about him is, like, he was one of the guys that Boston could have selected with those three <laughs> consecutive picks where they got... Him and Barzell. Zaboral, him they and Barzell. could have been there. Yeah, <laughs> they were both there. So, just saying. Uh... But Winnipeg, it, the Jets are interesting because, I mean, they were good for a lot of last year. We were talking with Josh Morrissey early on as like a Norris candidate. Yeah. Then the wheels fell off, and we all wondered what happened. But, I mean, Rick Bonus, he's a good coach, and they got some good guys. How do we feel about Winnipeg? I, I like them. Um, I think when you've got Connor Hellebuck there and... Mm-hmm. We'll have to kind of go through this exercise as to whether he's still the best U.S.-born goalie in the NHL. He's got a lot of competition. A lot of young competition. Yeah. But whenever you've got Hellebuck in, again, we're talking about the Oilers or the Avs, mm-hmm. do they get blown out these days <laughs> or, or having the, the difficulties they have if they ended up getting Hellebuck in the offseason? Right. Maybe the Avs weren't linked to him, but definitely the Oilers. Yeah, That's for a sure. different team with Hellebuck. So whenever you start with a Vezina-type goalie, I think that solves a lot of problems. And like I said, Kyle Connor consistently just, you can almost pencil him in for 30 to 35 goals, maybe even 40 goals, but just to have been a consistent scorer. You look at his draft, which included obviously McDavid, Eichel, Marner, mm-hmm. Rantanen. Yeah. It is a long list of stars. Aho was there. I believe Kyle Connor has more goals than Mitch Marner, more points than Jack Eichel, and fewer games played. Wow. So, again, th- this is a superstar player that no- we don't really think of as a superstar. Right. Um, but he's leading the charge. You got Alex Ifello, Cole Perfetti, Nino Niederreiter. A lot of, a lot of guys are just kind of solid dudes. Yeah, and they all have like four or five goals each. Yeah. So you're getting that depth scoring as well. Yeah. Cole Perfetti, I feel, is like one of the young stars that never gets a lot of spotlight. It's true. And if you think back to last year, like they started playing poorly when he got hurt. And I'm not saying Mm. it's a one-for-one thing, but it's like he brought something to that lineup that clearly they were lacking elsewhere. I don't know if it's just a youthful spark because at the time they were uh, quite the veteran team. But Love Perfetti. Yeah. And, uh, you know, 
Going back to Connor for a second, one of the best quotes I ever got for draft preview was from a scout who said, Kyle Connor has jersey flapping speed. Just, I remember watching him at the, it must have been, I think, World Juniors, where he played on a line with Matthews, or maybe it was World Championships. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I think he was coming out of, did he go to Michigan? Yes, he did. Yeah, okay. I think he was uh, coming out of there, and yeah, he did have some speed. There you go. <laughs> Jersey you go. flapping. I love that. Yeah, fantastic. Speaking of the World Juniors, uh, Ron Francis, uh, GM of Seattle, says Shane Wright won't be loaned for the World Juniors. To me, this is like, I know the question was asked, but it's like, to me, it's a bit of a non-story where it's like, well, yeah, he captained them to gold <laughs> last year. Uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of, I don't want to say it's beneath him because he is still eligible, but it's like... Right. He's, he's done that tournament. I think, I think so. I think it's good if you haven't been in the tournament to, mm-hmm. if you're an NHLer sort of on the ropes of sticking there or going down to the A or going down to major junior. Yeah. It makes sense to play in it. But, yeah. and that was, like, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he also played in the one that got canceled um, out in Edmonton uh, because of COVID. He might have. I have to look that. Well, like the original, oh, probably the original one. Yeah, yeah, not the summer one. And then he got. Yeah, yeah. Then the summer one, he didn't play. Right. But he's been there, done that, as Ron Francis said. Yeah. I, I agree. He needs to be playing in the NHL, and you know, with the Kraken kind of struggling to get some scoring, I, I think he he needs to stick up there with the Kraken, to be honest. And he's played yeah. three games, still searching for his first point this year. Um, I, I just don't know what to make of Shane Wright. I, I don't. I think at the beginning, I thought. For sure, he's just going to find his way. He's going to be a solid two-way center yeah. in the vein of like a, a Bergeron. Yeah. I don't know if that's still the case. I don't know. You're the, the prospects expert. Have you kind of had to reevaluate where you find the, where his potential is? I, you know what's funny? It's like I, I'm the same way where it's like he was always going to two, be a two-way guy, and I felt like you were most like, more likely to get a Selkie nod than he was ever going to get like 90 points mm-hmm. you know like I could see him being a 65 point guy and being that great shutdown center it's just it's been tough because Seattle was good last year so it's yeah. like well there's no spot for him and and now I mean they're struggling and you know injuries have, have brought him and, and Ryan Winterton up um, but it's just like he's never had like a good spot to really flourish right you know just because the Kraken haven't quite needed him so I, I'm hoping he gets the right experience and eventually the points will come. But I think this is going to be more of a long-term thing than we thought initially that it would be just because of circumstance. Yeah. So. Ideal world. You still got Matty Beniers, yeah. Shane Wright, possibly one, two down the middle. And, and that should be the long-term plan. Like that's yeah. your best chance for success. But at, at the moment, you know, because they were good last year, it's like, well... We can't do that traditional expansion, be bad right. for f- three, four years because, well, we already made the playoffs and, and won a series, so there's, there's expectations. And, you know, they're still trying to crack that market. You know, Seattle's a good sports market. There's a lot going on there. Yep. The Kraken aren't necessarily front-page news right now, especially since it's football season, and there's a lot of other sports, even college sports, that they have to compete with. So something to consider there. Real quickly, Florida red-hot Still don't have Ekblad. <laughs> Still don't have Montour. Uh, are the Panthers on that defense, Ryan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Oliver Ekman Larson. Um, are we are we wrong about were we wrong about the Panthers again? Because I thought they were just I thought they were going to be toast this year. And clear and and you know it's funny. It's not even Bobrovsky. 
Yeah. Like he's got like a 905 save save percentage. Sam Reinhardt <laughs> has 21 points already. Sam so are, is it just like they're just going to keep the good times rolling? I suppose so. And you know, Paul Maurice has done a, a great job there because yeah, I didn't. I thought if Florida was going to be where they are and having success, you'd probably be talking. Okay, Kachuk is doing Kachuk type things, and mm-hmm. Barkov is taking that extra step. But yeah, Sam Reinhardt, 11 goals, 21 points in 14 games. Granted, he's playing with uh, probably some pretty good players as well, but yeah, I don't don't understand the Florida Panthers, to be honest. I I still don't understand how they went to the final. I think it was just one of those ones where they just punched people in the face and they kept advancing. You know what's funny? It's like that makes more sense to me than what's going on now because when you go on a playoff run like that and you are a big, heavy team, Mm -hmm. then it's like, okay, I, I see that recipe and you're basically daring teams to... To square up with you and no and I mean Boston you know basically they got rooked because you know they Allmark was hurt and they didn't pull him soon enough and blah 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 um, but like it took until the final where Vegas was like oh yeah you have a Death Star weakness and it's going to the net uh, and so it was a five game series but before that Toronto and Carolina were like I don't know what's going on here we yeah. keep shooting from the perimeter and nothing's happening that that in the forecheck. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that Florida forecheck was just a killer uh, yeah. on everyone's defense, except for Vegas. Vegas, which had a really good defense. Yeah, a, a, a defense that was both big, physical, and could move the puck up the ice. Fair enough. All right, so uh, big event this week. The NHL heads to Sweden. You got Toronto, you got Ottawa, you got Detroit, you got Minnesota. Um, thoughts on the Global Series? Because the NHL has gone to Europe a couple of times now, uh, recently, I should say. To me, the one sort of interesting thing, I, I was talking to somebody the other day, I was talking to an agent who was saying, do you know that the NHL does not have an office anywhere in Europe? And that was interesting to me, because if you think about like the NBA, uh, yeah. particularly you know, when the NBA uh, made their forays into China a long time ago, that was huge for them in terms of their global imprint. The NFL obviously goes to Europe several times a year, where it's London. Uh, they were in Germany recently. So I, I guess my question is your thoughts on the Global Series and, sh- and should the NHL have an office? See, I like the idea of a Global Series. I just don't know what they're hoping to get out of it. Mm. And I say that because Sweden is not a country that I have to convince um, to start watching hockey right. or playing hockey. Like right. It's a tiny nation yeah. in the grand scheme of things. Mm. And yet they're sending how many players and how many solid NHLers to uh, North America every year. So I don't mm-hmm. get it from that perspective where you're going to say, all right, we're going <laughs> to try to grow the game in a place that just loves the game as much as what well, Canada does, arguably. Right. So had they gone to China or a nation where they're still trying to gain headway and yeah. it's a huge population where you're going, okay, there's a lot of money there. Yeah. I can understand it, but for this one, I don't get it. And mm-hmm. I think it actually hurts probably North America because well, when are the games even? Yeah, good question. So um, it's, a, it's a lovely thing. And a guy like William Nylander, who's having a tremendous start to the season, I saw on Twitter that um, he's being interviewed there. They showed Matt Sundin. Obviously, there's a lot of Boreas Salming uh, storylines there as well. There's a history, obviously, with the Leafs in mm-hmm. Sweden um, that is just so tied where it makes sense. But yeah. in terms of growing the game, let's get an Olympics. Let's get a World Cup of hockey. Yeah. That's how you grow the game on a global scale. Yeah, fair enough. And you know, to your point, I think if they were going to do outreach to countries, I think you would look at a Norway 
or even a Denmark where it's like they have hockey, they produced NHLers, but you want to take that next step where you want to get even more grassroots. Like a Latvia. Lat- Latvia would be amazing because their crowds for international hockey, particularly when they hosted the Worlds, mm-hmm. were incredible. I would also say, you know, like Japan. I know they went there at least once before, but that's a that's a country where they, they do have hockey. They've produced not necessarily NHL talent, but they've had some USHL players mm-hmm. uh, that have stuck around. And, and really, they don't have a lot of infrastructure there for the sport. So, I mean, that be, might be a market that's worth looking into kind of long term. Uh, I would even say like, like some really non-traditional, like Mexico or something like that. Like you've got Austin Matthews in the yep. league. Like let's bring in some of those ties. Like I said, sure. like how many fans are you going to introduce to hockey now? Right. By having the Toronto Maple Leafs and Ottawa Senators and the Red Wings in Sweden. Yeah. Like I'm sorry, but like. They know. <laughs> they know. Right, right. I guess it's more of a reward, if anything. Granted. Yeah, yeah fair enough. All right. Well, speaking of, uh, you mentioned Mexico. Uh, speaking of arid climates, uh, Arizona. Oh, I like that transition. Thank right. you. Uh, Marty Walsh, head of the NHLPA, uh, made some pointed comments recently about Arizona's arena search. So where are we at with this? How, how are we feeling? I, I, I sense a lot of frustration from Marty Walsh, and understandably so. Like mm. what was supposed to be just a one to two year sort of, hey, we need to go to this university campus and yeah. have you play in a arena that is really small. It's going to be temporary. Well, it, it's not feeling temporary right now, <laughs> right, according to Marty right. Walsh. It's like, is there a plan to get a full-time rank there? And if not, then what are we doing? Yeah, And I think a lot of people are wondering, yeah, what is happening with Arizona? Are mm-hmm. they going to get their stuff together? And if not, well, you know there's an Atlanta knocking on the door or yep. a Quebec City possibly. Right. Or a Houston. Like there's a lot of places that could put an NHL team in um, that are waiting. So uh, I think his concerns are justifiable. Um, if you're playing for the Arizona Coyotes, it might be kind of a neat little thing where you know, you're playing again in front of a smaller crowd, that intimate setting. I know personally, I'd love to see a game there. Totally. But 82 games, that's a long time. Especially when you're talking season after season. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Salt Lake City has also been bandied about recently. I say if you move in there, call them the Utah Saints. Ooh, like it. Awesome. Uh, last one on this one before we get to an interview with Pat Kelleher from USA Hockey. Uh, Lane Lambert of the Islanders, is he the next coach on the hot seat? It's, it's starting to feel that way. Like, I don't know what your expectations were of the Islanders. They weren't high. Yeah. They weren't super low. I always think they're going to be in the mix. Yeah. They're like high floor, low ceiling. And, and we keep talking about how tough the Metro is. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, it's, it's loss after loss after loss. Um, they don't seem like a playoff team or if they... If they are a playoff team, then they're going to be definitely a bubble team. So mm-hmm. uh, I know Lou Lamorello in the sense that he gets impatient, <laughs> especially when watching from the GMC. Right. Um, it's either going to be Lou Lamorello behind the bench or he's going to find someone that can do the job better. So, yeah, if I'm Lane Lambert, I'm, I'm probably getting a little concerned now because you know, we've already had our first coach fired. We've already had our first GM fired. So, mm-hmm. you know, that domino falls, it tends to... <laughs> Fall down. Just keep going. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Excellent. All right. Well, we'll be right back with Pat Kelleher from USA Hockey. We are joined now by Pat Kelleher, Executive Director of USA Hockey. Pat, 
To begin with, thanks for being here. My pleasure. Good to be here with you guys. Yeah. Indeed. So we're going to talk about a, a bunch of international related things. Uh, first of all, you know, the World Juniors coming up in about a month and a bit. Uh, it's going to be in Gothenburg this year. But USA Hockey will be hosting soon <laughs> in a couple of years. And uh, I know you can't reveal which city is going to host right now, but I am curious. You know, I heard that Tampa was in the mix. Uh, maybe Seattle had interest, uh, along with some more um, sort of uh, northern climates. But I, I am kind of curious if it's heartening that you're getting these sort of newer NHL markets, these warm weather NHL markets in a couple of cases, interested in a tournament like this. Yeah, I mean, the, the growth of the World Juniors in the U.S. Is, has been phenomenal. And I do have to thank our friends here in Canada for all the work that, that Hockey Canada and TSN have done to, to build this property, really. So now in the U.S., it is, it's a viable entity to have in just about any NHL market. So we're fortunate that we have great interest from a bunch of NHL markets. And um, hopefully around the timing of this year's World Juniors in Gothenburg, we'll have a great announcement that people will be excited about. What goes into picking a site location? Because in Canada, it seems like you could just plop it down in any uh, <laughs> junior market and you're fine. But is a border town, um, does that have advantages versus um, a, you know, a market that has a strong NHL tie? Or how does that work? It's probably yes, yes, yes. Like yes, all yes. those different <laughs> things we bring into it. Um, there, there are a lot of different factors. And, and really, the biggest thing that we've seen is there's complete enthusiasm and confidence from multiple NHL markets that, that want to host World Juniors, can make it successful. And frankly, when we look at it now, it's grown since we've had it. I mean, 2011 and 2018 were the two we had in Buffalo. Um, it was great. The Sabres were fantastic. We, we won't, we'll, we'll be going to a different market. I will share that part at least. Um, but people look at it and say, this is a, this is a big time opportunity for our, our franchise, whatever it is, to host it and kind of do that within the U.S. Um, and what we're really looking at with these with these hosts is, can we have full buildings of fans, right? We want the experience to be fantastic for the players and the event so that it continues to grow. I mean, that's really kind of our next step to make sure wherever we end up, there's lots of fans, lots of excitement, lots of enthusiasm to match what goes on on the ice, which we know is filled with excitement and enthusiasm all the time. Indeed. Let's stick uh, with tournaments right now. The Olympics, obviously, uh, not for a couple of years, but NHL players want to be there. The fans want them to be there. Uh, it hasn't happened in the past two times, but with it being in Italy, in Europe, I'm just thinking in terms of time zones, yeah. distance traveled for players, it seems like it's a, it's a better bet this time. What's your level of optimism right now in terms of having a, a true best on best at the Olympics? Uh, we certainly hope it can happen. I mean, we think there's, there's definitely work being done to make it happen. Um, there's details with anything, right? Um, but the right people are talking. NHL, IHF, IOC, Olympic organizers in Italy, the member federations, USA Hockey, Hockey Canada. So we're all engaged in this topic and, and everybody wants to happen. So hopefully the details can get worked out. And I do remain optimistic. I mean, we're really hopeful that we're gonna be able to see players like Austin Matthews in a, in a US uniform again. It's been a little while. So I think everybody's looking forward to that. Um, and we'll, we'll hopefully do what it takes to make it happen. Because yeah, we're in a golden age, I would argue, for USA Hockey right now. You mentioned Matthews, but you got the Hughes brothers. Um, you've got the Kachucks. Um, yeah. This might be the strongest team that, you know, Team USA uh, ices in a long time. Yeah, we, we've certainly felt that going into Beijing in 2022 and, and when that was a possibility. Um, and even talking at that time, you know, Billy Guerin was going to be our GM and obviously he was kind of in that 
maybe prior golden age with his group right. of players in the 96 mm -hmm. World Cup team. And we, we, we really want that. We, we, all, we need that on the men's side. We want that opportunity for our best to play the best um, because we think we're right there. And again, tough part is I think several other countries are right there too that are, have great talent. So, but we're, we feel good about the group that we could put on the ice in the best on best. Because that's really when you grow uh, hockey in a country. Um, you mentioned that, what was it, the 96 team? Yeah, uh, 96 team World Cup. I imagine um, participation rates just went through the roof after yeah. that. Yeah, though no, that, that's, a, that's a huge boost, right? When you have a, a signature event like that, the highest level, the country can get behind, the sport all gets behind, that's a platform, right? I mean, the, the 1980 Miracle on Ice was transformational in our country, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Sending kids. And then, you know, you look on the, on the women's side, the 98 Women's Olympic gold medal in the first Olympic tournament, has done a ton to grow the game within the U.S. And so we, we have a great uh, structure. We have a great foundation of players. We love the opportunity to win at the highest level on the Olympic stage to continue to grow that part of the game. Excellent. And, you know, just talking about player base and, uh, you know, some of the superstars that you've already seen, something I'm always curious about is in a country like the United States where there are so many elite sports uh, that draw players in. How do you get the best athletes to choose hockey? Because it feels like there's already been some momentum there. You know, like mm. Seth Jones and Caleb Jones, their dad played basketball. That would have been an obvious fit. Uh, at the NTDP this year, you have EJ Emery, whose father played in the CFL. So he was a football player. Would have been easy for EJ to go into football, yeah. but he chose hockey. So how can you... How can you, you know, I mean, you can't guarantee that these players are, are going to choose hockey, but how do you make sure that the pitch is out there that, you know, this is a viable elite sport that really good athletes should go into versus some of the other options they have? Yeah, I think what we look at is, and this is going to be sound like an overly simplified answer, but what it is is to make sure wherever youth hockey is offered, that's the best youth sports experience in that community. That's That's hard to do, but that's the goal. So when we have you know, grassroots volunteers all across our country that really are the ones that are getting kids on the ice at five, six, seven years old. We try and give them the best tools and resources to make sure they provide the best opportunity because at five, six, and seven, we don't know who the best athletes are, right? So we want to get them involved, have a great experience, love it. So then when they get to that age of 13, 14, 15, and they may be a, you know, they may be a lacrosse player, they may be a baseball player mm -hmm. as well as a hockey player, mm -hmm. that they, they enjoy it so much and they want to do it, so they stay with it. Does the uh, Warren Strelow goalie mentorship program kind of fall into that where you guys are kind of, you know, picking the best of the best and making sure that they have a, a bad avenue and a path? Because you look at Jeremy Swayman, Jake Ottinger, uh, Joseph Wall, a, a ton of U.S. goalies have come yeah. through that program. And, you know, let's face it, uh, some of the best goalies in the world now are coming from the uh, from USA. Yeah, we've, we've had a great emphasis on goaltending for a while. Uh, our, our, our past chairman of the board and president, Ryan DiGregorio, is a passionate goalie guy, mm -hmm. and he's still involved in that side, which really is helpful to all of our people around the country and have that energy and leadership on goaltending development. I think from the elite side and the Stralo program, you're talking at you know, 15, 16, 17, and that's actually on the women's side too. Okay. Get the players involved at the highest level, give them some more training, and... and make that a big part of the development there, right? The off-ice training, the mental, all of those things that go into being an elite goaltender and, and give them a path and a runway. And really on the men's, really both men's and women's, that pathway leads to, 
you know, a little bit longer development, usually college hockey. You know, Sw Jeremy Swain played at Maine, right? right? Ottinger was BU, Wall was BC. They played a little bit longer in college as a goalie and some, some AHL time. It just, it's a longer development path. Yeah. Um, and again, we, we have, I think we have greater depth in those areas. I mean, you look at a guy like Spencer Knight, right? He's going to be back and be a big-time goaltender. Mm -hmm. um, so at the elite level, we feel pretty good about the goaltending up there. And we had a charge years ago um, from, from one of our people that started and it still continues through a guy named Steve Thompson that coordinates all of our goaltending programs, grassroots up to elite, is 51 and 30. How can we have 51% of the minutes, and at the time the NHL or, or women's professional, 51 of the minutes in 2030 played by American goaltenders? Oh, okay. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because... Yeah, you look at uh, Team Canada for the Olympics, I don't know who is going to be their starting goalie. Yeah. For the U.S., it's probably about the same problem, but it's a, it's a different scenario just because there's too many options. Yeah, exactly. It's the opposite problem. It's a good problem we, to we, have. We, we, we feel like we have some pretty good depth there. I'll yeah, say that yeah. for us. And uh, just to wrap up, you mentioned women's hockey a couple of times there. Uh, the rivalry series, obviously, we had a couple of games recently. Uh, you know, we do have a new women's pro league that's just starting up. Uh, but how important is that rivalry series just in, in terms of the the grand scheme of things for the women's game. It, it's really, really important. And to go last week and have it in, in Phoenix uh, and then have it in LA, you're going to newer markets, right? And the women's game continues to grow, participation continues to grow. And for young players, boys and girls, to see those athletes on the ice and the game they put on is fantastic. Um, and so for us, frankly, a lot of those players that are gonna be in the PWHL, they had their last games before this weekend, this past week, were last year's Women's World Championships in Brampton. Mm -hmm. So it's been a long time. So for them, it's really important because they get to play and they want to. Um, so now we'll have three more games in December. Then the league will start in January, which should be exciting, and everybody's really fired up for that. And then we're hosting the Women's World Championships in Utica, New York in April. Um, and you get back at it, hopefully another great chapter in the Team USA, Team Canada rivalry uh, on home soil for us in Utica. There you go. Well, Pat, thanks so much for being here. And uh, we will be back with Rapid Fire and the best. And we are back. Thank you very much to Pat for that. Uh, now time for the Upper Deck Young Gun of the Week. And we're going with Will Cooley from the New York Rangers. Uh, he has a Young Gun card in Series 1. And, you know, for me, Cooley very interesting because he has that power forward capability to his game. He was a great goal scorer in junior. Yep. And uh, I believe, if, if I'm not mistaken, in his past five games with the Rangers, he has four points. You know, he went pointless his last game, but he had a point every game before that. So he's really starting to take hold. And this is, this is a fearless kid. Like, he got called up last year for some games. He fought Keegan Colasar. Oh, wow. Right? The guy that broke Matthew Kachuk's body <laughs> in the Stanley Cup final, albeit with a hit. But he fought Keegan Colasar and, uh, you know, held his own. So, you know, Will Cooley, uh, big-time OHLer. And uh, I feel like for the Rangers, he's one of those next generation players along with Brendan Othman where you can put them up and down the lineup yep. and they can help you. Even if they're on the third or fourth line, they can make contributions. Yeah, and he's playing with uh, Capocacco, so another young guy that they're yep. trying to kind of get going. I know uh, Alexis Lafreniere has been red hot these days. Indeed. Um, another thing about Will Cooley, he's been living with Vincent Trichek. Oh, very yeah. nice. Yeah, so uh, you know, that's his billet family. Apparently the chicken parm is uh, Ooh, uh, nice. the, the food of choice, obviously. Yeah. I'm talking about a hockey player yeah. here. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, a meat and potatoes, kind of power forward, um, up and down the lineup, kind of like a... Uh, 
Oh, who am I thinking of? Barkley. Uh, Goodrow? Barkley Goodrow kind of style of game. Mm, nice, nice. All right, well, it is time for Rapid Fire, Mike. I am uh, hosting this one. We will start off with PWHL jerseys. They were revealed the other day. They are all basically the same. <laughs> it is diagonal Rangers style lettering, ironically. Yeah. Uh, just says the city name. I would say the colors are kind of cool for some of them, but uh, yay or nay on those jerseys. Big, big fat nay. Yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's just, they're all the same, right? Yeah. Um, no originality. And you know what? Here's the thing I'll say. We're talking about a league that really got its stuff together two and a half months ago. Yep. So I, I will cut them some slack. Um, getting all your ducks in a row. I'm sure they didn't have a design team with the logos. Maybe that's still coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, you know, I've seen better jerseys in beer league. Totally. So. Yeah. And I, I get like Twitter ads for, you know, like, oh, we'll design your jerseys. It's like, just hire those guys. Like they're on Twitter all the time. Yeah. Why not? All right. Okay. Next, going into some pop culture here. With the benefit of hindsight, <laughs> favorite Stone Temple Pilot song ever. Okay, so it's, it's a band that I didn't like off the start. Me too. Just because I couldn't get past the voice. Fair enough. Um, still not a huge fan of them. Yeah. Uh, I'd still put them in my Pearl Jam category, which I'm just not a big fan of. Sure. Uh, but what is it, Big Bang Baby? Yep. Um, he doesn't sound like he does on the other ones. He's not mm. kind of crooning. It's uh, very kind of punkish. So uh, I'll go with that. And I used to always hear it at the... Leaf games uh, back in the early mid two thousands. Right on. I'm gonna go with Interstate Love Song, which they actually play quite a bit on like classic rock radio now, and it feels like it wasn't a, their biggest single at the time, but it sort of stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. And when he's when the drummer switches over to the ride cymbal for the chorus, that's just like amazing. As a drummer, I really appreciate the subtlety of that. Uh, next question: What's the last TV show? that you binged? So I binge watch a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Lately it's been Shameless. Um, okay. But I'm only like one, one and a half seasons through. There's two, there's a British and an American, right? The American one uh, I've been watching. Um, liking that, but even before that it was Succession. Uh, I knew mm-hmm. the last season was coming out, everyone kept talking about it. Yep. So kind of caught, caught up with it, loved that show. You're talking about Chef's Kiss, the ending. Uh, oh yeah. Ended properly. Yeah, I thought they stuck the landing. Certainly. For me, uh, we just binged I'm a Virgo, which uh, is uh, it's directed by Boots Riley, uh, who did uh, Sorry to Bother You, the Lakeith Stanfield movie from a couple years back, which okay. is all, also awesome. Uh, it's basically about like a, this like teenager in Oakland who's 13 feet tall. And it's like it's political, but it's like joyful. It's completely surreal. It's not going to be for everybody. It's, you know, it's definitely like, it makes statements, but I would highly recommend it if you like things that are, uh, you know, left of center. So, I'm a Virgo, gets my stamp of approval. Awesome. Final question. The LA Kings just announced they will be playing a couple of exhibition games next year in Quebec City. How do we feel about that? And have you ever been to that new rink in Quebec City? I haven't been to the new rink, but I'm loving this. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hope that we're not teasing the fans out in Quebec City a little too yeah. much. It just seems like whenever they get kind of little crumbs, like, oh, the NHL might be coming. Yeah. They go all out. Obviously, we all want hockey, I think. We want more hockey in Canada. Sure. And especially another excuse to go down to Quebec. Yes. So Montreal is lovely. Uh, Quebec City, I love it. Um, yeah. I hope this is kind of a first step. Um, I'm sure it's going to be many steps towards them getting a franchise, but mm. 
you know, in the meantime, this is great. Yeah, I've been to that rink. They had the CHL Top Prospects game there, mm-hmm. there uh, a few years ago. It's an NHL rink. It's gorgeous. And I agree, Quebec City is an awesome city. So good for the Kings. Uh, renovations at their arena uh, are the reason that they're going to do the preseason games there. Because I was like, right. wow, that's really random, the Kings in Quebec City. But good on them. All right, we're going to finish up with the best now. And uh, I'm, I'm going to handle that category. This is the best Minnesota State high school team names. Uh, their season begins in about a week, week and a half. I love my Minnesota high school hockey. It's very fun. I'm going to start off uh, with the Matamidi Zephyrs. This is a team that actually won the uh, small school championship, I believe, last year, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, the Zephyrs, fantastic name. What's the logo? Uh, it's like sort of a Trojan kind of guy. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then we have the Minnetonka Skippers. They have an anchor uh, on their shoulder. They do like a, like a University Minnetonka. of Minnesota M as their main logo, but that's where Jake Gardner and I was Justin Hall say, played. Jake Gardner, yeah. Yeah. Then we got the Thief River Falls Prowlers. Yes, I actually have a throwback Thief River Falls Prowlers jersey that I bought years ago from a, a, a website. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anytime you see me on video at home, I've got Thief River jersey there. And uh, this is my favorite name that I'm not sure if they, they said it out loud when they, when they thought of it, uh, but it's the Holy Family Catholic Fire. <laughs> so technically they're just called the Fire, and the school is Holy, Catholic, Holy Family Catholic. Um, but yeah, that's just a tremendous name wow. when you put it all together. And uh, finally, and this is where, if I'm not mistaken, Jason Blake went, the Moorhead Spuds. Spuds. And yes, they do have a secondary logo that is a potato. <laughs> nice. Yes. So uh, I'm very excited to see what happens in Minnesota high school hockey this year. I always enjoy watching those games on YouTube. I'm curious. Okay, so high school hockey in Minnesota, yeah. where do they stack up? Like if you put those up against, obviously, Major Junior, they're probably nowhere. They'd get killed because of depth. Okay. Like the best Minnesota high school teams have like two great lines. And then two lines that are just like the kids that go to that school. Okay. So yeah, so they have don't to have get an all-star team, possibly. You yeah, and even then you're talking about raw kids, right? Like mm. you know, like like Nick Bugstad was a force because he was like the only kid that was six foot five, mm. two hundred pounds at the time, like that sort of thing. You get a lot of kids that need those two, three, four years before you even think about them as NHLers. But a lot of them turn into great NHLers. And so. their hair game is strong. The hair game is incredible. Okay. Yes, indeed. So that's it for today. This has been the Hockey News pregame show brought to you by Upper Deck at MGM. I'm Ryan Kennedy. That's Michael Tragos.